This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. When I was a boy, my grandfather told me a story about a friend of his who took his grandson fishing. It wasn't far from Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. That's Susquehanna River country, and that's where my grandparents had a farm. Well, my grandfather's friend was fishing a creek, and after a while, his uh, five- or six-year-old grandson got tired, so he sat down a few feet behind his grandfather. Anyway, he was overturning rocks like little boys do, and at one point he said, Grandpa, I have worms crawling all over me. So the boy's grandfather turned around and was horrified to see about five baby copperheads crawling oh all gosh. over him. Can you believe it? No, that's unbelievable. Yeah, well, the grandfather was able to remove all of them without incident. I don't know how he did that. But it's a reminder that you never know what kind of encounters you'll have with wildlife when you go fly fishing. And you're thinking about trout. And then yeah. the next thing you know, there's a buffalo a few yards ahead, which happened to us yep. uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, or yep. a moose with your brother and I right. recently, or a rattlesnake. Yep. And we've talked at length before about bears and bison and rattlers, even moose, but there are a lot of other animals you might encounter. Recently, we ran across a book by Rachel Levin. I think that's how you pronounce her last name, Levin or Levine. Uh Yeah, we'll just go with 11, I guess. Anyway, it was titled Look Big and Other Tips for Surviving Animal Encounters of All Kinds. Uh, It's humorous and wise. So we're going to read a few excerpts and talk about some of the animal encounters you might not expect. Uh, Dave, why don't you start with one that uh, we probably don't think of, but uh, you you had a little bit of a run in. The first is porcupines. Oh, porcupines. And generally you think of those as... Uh, as those that you hit on the road sometimes, right? Yeah, You'll see yeah. them on their bodies on the side of the road because yeah. your car hit it, or uh, or you don't see them at all. But recently, I well, actually, several years ago, I was out hunting in North Dakota, and we were pheasant hunting, and there were there was a bunch of rushes, and I started walking through the rushes, and it was dry, the bottom was dry, and I had my dog uh, Zoe with me at mm-hmm. the time. And I looked, I felt something, it felt furry. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking it was furry, but I looked down, here was a porcupine, <laughs> and it had just it, um, released quills into my boot. And I was uh-huh. the first thing I thought of was Zoe, right? Because she'll chase it and get yeah. a, a nose full of quills. And I, so I, I ran like uh, perpendicular to the, the, uh, to the porcupine and ran out about 25 yards and then screamed for the dog to come to me and held her until the porcupine went away. But it, it was one of those things. I had to pull them out of my boot, and I had great hunting pants, and they didn't actually penetrate. Wow. But I had quills on the tip oh, of my man. boot, and uh, it, it was actually a close call. So obviously, if you have a dog out there, then you need to worry about yeah. it. And uh, and so that's a that's a really important thing if you're yeah. out fly fishing or fishing or anytime yeah. you're in the outdoors. So Rachel says if there are only a few quills, pull them out yourself, but with your dog, but use pliers and then pull them straight yeah. out. Don't twist, twist them. them. So porkies typically leave people alone is what she says. And so it's, it's not a matter of, oh, no, you're going to get chased by a porcupine. No. It's just stay away. Keep your distance if you see one. I've seen a couple when I've been fly fishing, and I've 
done, done just that. I've just steered clear and, and you know, you're okay. But I don't know. It's like so many things, Dave. I think we get into problems when, hey, we want to mess with those or yeah. get close. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah then, then That's look a problem. Out. It What's really, really interesting, and we've talked about this before, but uh, fishing in general and hunting in general are declining, are in decline. Yeah. The mm-hmm. numbers of people that are fishing and the numbers of people that are hunting. And I think with the exception of women who are now into fly fishing more and women who are hunting up in Alaska, uh, the numbers just keep keep dropping. Less people are fishing, yeah. less mm-hmm. people are hunting. The one where place where it is increasing is camping. Yeah. So there's a big increase in mm-hmm. interest in camping right yeah. now. And so if you're listening to this and you're a camper, this has relevancy for you as well. Yeah, exactly. So another uh, animal encounter that you might not think a lot about would be bees, wasps, and hornets. And in her book, Rachel says that about 60 people die annually from stings. Now, that's not fly fishers. That's just general population. But... Uh, think about that, 60 people. I wonder, though, how many of them are allergic to uh, stings, like my brother Dave. I don't know if you know this, but my brother Dave has medicine that he has to take if he gets stung by a bee. Wow. So he immediately swells up? Yeah, he does. Yeah. I think we found that out uh, when we were little on my grandparents' farm. And uh, this is back in the day where one of the things we did as boys is we'd find a you know, down by the, the hog shed, there was an old lumber pile, and it seems like the, the hornets would build a nest there every year, and we'd, we'd have a good time. We'd go down, and, and we'd, uh, sometimes we'd even, you know, in the cool of the evening, we'd put, you know, f- a whole thing of black cat firecrackers and <laughs> light them off. Really didn't do anything, but occasionally we'd throw stones, and I think one time, yeah, there was a hill uh, just below their house, went down to the barn, went down to the hog pen, and to this old lumber pile. And so uh, we'd run down there. The problem is you threw a rock and hit the, you know, hit the, the hornet's nest, you're running uphill. So you're covering about <laughs> You're half. at a disadvantage. Yeah, you really are. So I remember he got stung <laughs> once. And, of course, I did too, and I screamed like I had been uh, – attacked by a bear or something well <laughs> but anyway yeah he he swelled up and we my folks discovered he was allergic yeah, yeah that's dangerous i have done the same thing growing up you throw a rock you hit it with a broom a big hornet's yes. nest and then you mm-hmm. run like the dickens and and yeah. wonder why you got stung I know. it's interesting i guess these aren't animals bees and wasps aren't animals but they are insects yeah that's and, right uh, yeah. even though it's in this book by rachel uh, it's important to mention. Yeah, it really is. So uh, there's no, uh, you know, what surprising, shocking, secret tip here. I mean, it's common yeah. sense. <laughs> Don't swat at them. And if you're fly fishing, I've had that happen before. I've I've run into not a great big pod, but I don't even know that pod's the right word. Uh, a swarm. That that's the word, isn't it? Yeah, swarm. It's a swarm. I haven't run into a big swarm, but I've run into. Uh, you know, two or three that are buzzing around along the stream side. And uh, that's where you don't want to swat, don't run. That's just going to agitate the hornet or wasp. Uh, if you get stung, wash it with soap and apply ice. Uh, if a stinger is involved, and that's not the case with wasps or yellow jackets or hornets. I think what I've run into more fly fishing would be yellow jackets. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, but if a stinger is involved, uh, good old-fashioned bee, 
uh, flick it off, she says, with a fingernail or a credit card. So, yeah, have your credit card handy. Yeah. Again, this wasn't written for, for fly fishers, so yeah. our, our credit card is probably not going to be as accessible at that point. But anyway, you get the idea. It's just so counterintuitive not to run oh, and not it. to swat. I know it. It's just, it, it, it goes against every yeah, urge yeah. that you have in it really that moment. really does. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. So we've talked about some scary critters so far. Porcupines, bees, <laughs> and it gets scarier, Dave. What's next? <laughs> cows. Domestic <laughs> yeah. cows. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> and if you're fishing in the Driftless, you encounter them often. Yeah, you do. You so do, the Minnesota you? or Wisconsin Driftless. So Rachel <laughs> Levine, or Levin, points out that while sharks kill one person a year in the U.S. and snakes kill six, cows kill 20. Wow, beware of the killer cows when you're out fly fishing. Exactly. Huh? But there's no need to fear. I suspect most of these were farmers or ranchers who work cattle every yeah, day. I, I or maybe they're the clowns in the rodeo right. who are yeah, getting gored yeah. by the bulls. <laughs> oh, man. I yeah, know. so we always run into these in the Wisconsin Driftless. I remember, tell that story about the time we were fishing was it the blue river i'm not it, sure where we it, were was it the blue or was it was it uh you know near timber coolie oh that little could valley. be too yeah but i remember you know there were a bunch of cows and we're walking by we're walking out and i kind of had my head down i mean i'm i'm used to cows like you i've worked cattle before and and what I didn't realize is there was a bull in the bunch <laughs> <laughs> yeah and at some yeah. point you were literally within Less than five yards yeah. from, and you were head down. I yeah. said, "Hey, Steve, yeah, what do you think?" Look up, um, like, oh no, there's you're a right bull. in front of that bull. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so thankfully, it didn't do anything. I think, whoops! It yeah, kind of sorry about that. Backed away, took a little wider <laughs> berth. Oh man, yeah, no kidding. Wow, uh, that's great. Yeah, you, a bull is a different story. There, they can be ornery. Um, you just want to give them a wide berth. Otherwise, if you're dealing with a cow, you know, steer, heifer, anything that's not a bull, yeah, you're going to be okay as long as you give them space. I, I'm sure, you know, because I've a couple times in my life I've milked cows, and I, I know that that those who get stomped or kicked, it's it's when they're working within close quarters. I mean, you and I have both branded cattle before, and. You know, we've thrown calves, and or even if they're in the chutes, if, if you're not careful, you can get kicked, and th that's where people get into problems. So, yeah, there, there's no reason to be frightened of cows, but, uh, but hey, they're big. Yeah, and, they are uh, big. So you just, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't walk right through them either. Uh, you, you can get them scared or, or just disturbed, and, and they're not trying to get you, but they could be trying to leave, and you could... You know, you could get knocked down or something. You just... Often they're pests. I found like in yeah. the driftless, sometimes oh, you walk yeah. by them and try to give them a, a wide berth, and they will walk up to you. And yeah. Like, hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. Could you leave me alone? I just yeah. want to fly fish. That's right. That's right. So it gets even more dangerous. <laughs> now we've got to talk about dogs. Oh my. Yeah, honestly, this is probably the least of your worries. Unless other fly fishers bring along their German Shepherd or Rottweiler or Pit Bull, or if you're fishing near a place where the, where somebody has a dog. I remember a time near Jackson, Wyoming, when a friend and I were walking to a fly shop, and, and a couple of Dobermans came running up from a high-end home, and I... 
I think this was just more instinct because I hadn't read anything, and I'm I'm no uh, uh, knowledgeable person about. You're dogs. also not a lo- lover yeah, of dogs. I know that's what my family <laughs> accuses me of. Well, I, I kept them in front of me. I, I just had that sense. I'm not going to let them behind me. I could see they wanted to get behind me. Like, no, this is not going to happen. And I, I could tell that was annoying. But we we just kept walking. We just kept backing up. My friend and I, Chuck. I think it was Chuck Myers. Oh wow, I remember him? Mm, yep. And so, don't let the dog get behind you. Um, I don't know what else, Dave. Would you say? Well, you dogs? <laughs> here. You know, if we say if you have a dog that's harassing you, you know, speak with a a strong voice, go home, <laughs> and and obviously not to run. How well did that work for us out in the Minnesota Driftless that one time? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's right. Yeah, this was not a threat. Well, it was a threat to our fly fishing yes, because this, this young black lab kept running through. Uh, he saw us and came bounding over from this really nice log home that was in the woods, and and you know, right, running right through. This is a small stream, so right through these big holes that we wanted to fish. And uh, and at at one point uh-huh. you thought, well, you know, we'll just keep walking. And at some point it will leave. It did it, not it leave. No, it didn't. And the, the the owner called it the dog, so we kind of had to be careful. It's like, well, we can't make a big scene. How and, far was the owner? Maybe seventy five yards, fifty yeah, yards, something yeah, like that. At least and we were just thinking he's going to come over and pick up the dog or get, but yeah. and the dog didn't leave, and the dog owner didn't call it back or successfully yeah, call I it know. back. I bet it ruined probably twenty five, fifty yards of 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 river. Yeah, don't you think? Mm, oh yeah, and I suppose that's another issue too. If you bring your dog along. You can have issues with porcupines. You can have issue with with cattle. Uh, you can have issues with other people's dogs. I remember my uncle Ivan when we used to go pheasant hunting in in central Illinois or even over towards the Mississippi River. You know, we, sometimes we'd pull in to a farm and and he'd go up to ask permission. Well, a couple times his dog got out and they, you know. It was over before we even asked because right. his dog gets into a big fight with the right. with the farm dog, and so oh yeah, by the way, can we uh, can we fish your or can we hunt <laughs> pheasants on your property? Yeah, like, no. <laughs> My grandpa used to have a have a, an expression, and again, this is in the fifties and sixties and seventies, but they would he would talk about uh, that one dog is one dog. Yeah, yeah. Two dogs is a half a dog, and three dogs <laughs> is no dog. So to them, of yeah. course, dogs were very, uh, they were purposeful. In other yeah. words, you, they were utility. You had yes. a dog to help you round up the yeah. cattle. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs had a function. They weren't just for pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yep. Cow dogs, you bet. <laughs> they were cow yeah. dogs, yeah. So Grandpa had that one dog is one dog, yep. two dogs is yep. a half a dog, oh, and I three know. dogs is no dog. <laughs> Man, that's that's good. That's Not good. really a modern concept of, no, of pets. not at all. <laughs> So, yeah, beware of dogs. You never know when you might run into one on the river. So, Dave, you've got another category. And I have to say, this one does this this one does scare me a little bit. Yeah, this is important. This is uh, ticks. Again, this is not an animal, obviously. But uh, ticks are, are big. Certainly, they're big 
uh, in the Midwest and also on the, in the East. Obviously, in the West, you get them too. It's just drier, and I just have not had the issues in the West yeah. as I've had in the Midwest, and I haven't done a lot of fishing in the East. But don't let their size fool you. As Rachel Levin points out, they range from a poppy seed to a sesame seed in size. But they can spread Lyme disease. And that's I think what's we, scary. Yeah, isn't and it? I think we yeah. all know that. But yeah. um, and the good news is yeah. they can't jump or fly, but they cling uh, to the tip of grasses and and shrubs with their upper legs outstretched, ready to latch on to whatever happens to come by deer, varmints, and fly fishers. Man, that's spooky, isn't it? You know, sagebrush. I've I've actually had them on me before, just walking through sagebrush, and that's that's kind of a that's an unnerving picture. So they're they're Say that again. They're clinging to the tips of grasses and shrubs. With when... their upper legs outstretched. Oh, man. Ready to latch on to whatever happens to come by. Oh, that's a lovely thought, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's interesting. So what do you do? What are the precautions? Generally, the precautions are to wear long sleeves and pants. Yeah. So even when it's hot out, I typically wear a long sleeve. Oh, man. I, a fishing shirt. I do, too. Exactly. And, and even, yeah, pants, nylon pants. Yeah, I, I generally... I often in the West will will wear those shorter nylon pants, but increasingly, just to protect myself, I've I've worn more long pants. It's just tough when it's so hot, right? But, yeah. You know, it's a way to make sure they don't get into your body. Yeah, um, no kidding. It, the second, obviously, is every night to do a strip down scalp to toe search of yeah. of your body. Yeah. Uh, to make sure there's nothing there. It's more difficult than your hair. Maybe have your partner or daughter or wife or spouse yeah. or whatever do that. But uh, you do have to check. If you're out yeah. in the woods, you just need to pay attention to this. You really do. And remember, ticks hide. They, they'll hitchhike home, as Rachel Levin says, on waders. Well, she doesn't say waders. She says they'll hitchhike home on your clothes. Well, for fly fishers, that's backpacks, waders, fly vests. So, yeah, you have to watch that. Well, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it takes a tick 24 to 48 hours to uh, to basically get comfortable and burrow into your skin and infect you. Wow. So, so what do you do then if, if you find a tick on you? Well, don't try to pull it out with your fingers, although... I've done that a lot too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Use a tweezers instead and pull up with steady pressure. It should pop out, and then you know it. It, it wouldn't hurt to have tweezers in your your fly uh, vest or your satchel, would it? That's not a bad idea, no. actually. You know, I, mean, I was thinking, well, what could you use? You've got your nippers, but you'd probably cut the tick in half. Right, 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 right. And the same thing. Yeah, you with would. Your, you would with the nippers. Yeah, yeah. and then with your uh, with the hemostat. Although you you could you could possibly Probably could with use the that stat, yeah. that might work, but tweezers would be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And then flush the tick down the toilet, or okay. you know maybe put it in the stream if you yeah. <laughs> if you're in the stream. But wash the bite and watch for the next you know watch for the next month for red splotches on your skin or a bullseye rash, which are signals of, of yeah. Lyme disease. And if you catch Lyme disease early, it's very treatable. It's just, Interesting, it's probably huh? tough to get those, see those splotches if it's in your hair, right? Yeah. That's yeah, the problem. That would, that or on your back thing. or something like that. Right. Oh, I had a couple about, oh, 10 years ago, my brother and I went to some event in south of Kansas City and we were out in the rural area. It was like a camp or something and came back. I had 14 ticks that I pulled no. out 
up and down my body. And this was no. this was the 24 oh, hours after I returned home. Oh, my word. When was this? This was about 10 years ago. Good night. And oh, it was wow. in the middle of the summer, and it was Man. an outdoor event. And we were walking around, and we were not even in the woods per se, although there were woods around. Obviously, at that point, they're... They're more in the in the ravines Good and in the night. draws, but wow. I literally I counted them fourteen. Oh my word! I bet you were ticked off. <laughs> that was really bad. Sorry, but that's a, I was ticked. That's yeah, for sure. Ticked. That's amazing. I've not heard of that many. Yeah, it Good was night. my brother had the same. Oh my I don't know if it was fourteen, word. but it was wow. you know upwards of ten. Whew. Well, that's boy that that is one to watch out and with with Lyme disease. Yeah, that's a that's a real concern. So another one that we have talked about recently, so we're not going to spend time on it, but we, we really thought we should bring it up again, would be mountain lions. A human mountain lion encounter seemed to be more common, although it's still rare to see one in the wild. Uh, Rachel Levin says that there's only one human death by mountain lion each year. I wonder if that's also... Uh, the human death is really a somebody a, a child because that would be the well yeah it risk. sure could be I know because it, it really does uh, size matters and that's that's why the best advice is look big that's what she says and and she's right uh, I mean if you're fly fishing uh, hold up your fly rod or anything else that you have to make yourself look large I I've talked about this before but there there was a time when I was bow hunting when I had one follow me and I remember. I read the same kind of advice, and I didn't know much about mountain lions, but I knew that looked big, and so I, I even held my bow up. And I guess the other thing too, other than looking large, is if you're in, you know, in cougar mountain lion country, it's better to fish with a partner than to fish alone. And something else too, consider carrying bear spray. Uh, the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks uh, reports that one of their biologists turned back a mountain lion attack with bear spray. Now, you know, that's just anecdotal. I suppose there, there's more uh, studies to be done, but... Uh, it's better than nothing. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, if it's attacking you and you have it. Yeah, no kidding. And we weren't going to mention grizzly bears. We've talked about this pretty much ad nauseum. But if you have bear spray, her advice on grizzlies doesn't even mention bear spray and that's not acceptable. Exactly. I'm right. saying if you're yeah. fly fishing or hiking or mountain biking or camping in grizz country, you must carry bear spray. Yeah, it, it just... I can't believe she didn't mention no, it. No, I'm surprised. You know, she also says, and I, I get that she's being humorous, but that, that if you're dealing with a predatory male grizzly, she says, fight for your life. Like, no way. I mean, curl up in a fetal position and play dead. I mean, the, the same advice you would give for a sow with cubs. Uh, besides, you know, how would you know the difference? Yeah, I, know, I mean, in yeah, that moment, right? Yeah, good luck, because you don't know if it's a if it's a lone <laughs> female or, or if it's a male. And uh, <laughs> whew, good night. Uh, she. That's yeah. a great book, but yeah. she kind of misses it right. with that. Don't uh, yeah. don't fight back ever yeah. with a grizzly. Maybe maybe she was just being humorous there, but uh, uh, but. Uh, we no, missed that's, it that's if she not, was. Right, that's not good <laughs> advice. So another one is uh, is coyote is the coyote or the or coyotes. Um, yeah, we always call them coyotes out west, don't we? Here in the Midwest, my friends coyotes? say coyotes. Yeah. yeah, but but I don't know. There doesn't seem to be much to worry about here. We have coyotes or coyotes yeah. here in in my neighborhood. 
think we posted one on our Instagram account. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I had one not... on my front lawn several years ago, too. In, really? In, yeah, in Libertyville? In our town. Yep, in oh Libertyville. My... Wow. Yeah. They are not predator or predatory when it comes to human beings. At right. least they are until they're not. Although, yeah. apparently in Australia, there was some incidences of... Um, of coyotes that actually killed a human being. Wow, okay. Uh, my nephew, Stephen, is a, a biologist with the DNR here in Illinois, and he uh, had done some research on this part of his, I think it's his, doc, his uh, master's degree at University of Illinois, but he had done some research. And again, the human component is just so rare. Yeah. But it does happen, and it, it doesn't seem to be a big risk. Yeah, wow. Well, here's one final category, and uh, it's crows and other huh. birds. Uh, Rachel Levin says crow attacks are becoming a thing and that they never forget a face. That's interesting. What? So if you get attacked by one, it will attack you again if you return. Like, so, how would they know that? I yeah, mean, what I, I kind of no, research would show no that? Idea. I have no idea. It's, uh, yeah. kinda, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. You know, I guess if, if you're attacked, she says, uh, use an umbrella. And we always take an umbrella with us when we fly fish. <laughs> no, but we do have a fly rod, so I guess you could you know, let your fly rod ward it off. Uh, she says, face them head on since they like to attack you from behind. I, I guess I've, through the years, occasionally I've had a couple of birds. I don't even remember what they were. Maybe one was a magpie that that seemed to hover, seemed like they were a little bit aggressive, but I never have had one attack. But I, I don't know, maybe maybe some listeners, if you've ever had a, a bird attack you when you're fly fishing, or even if you're just outside, it uh, be interesting to hear about that. But I guess seeing that little entry made me think, huh, uh, maybe, maybe that is something we need to pay attention yeah. to. Well, it's time now for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment by Ed in our podcast on... What we tell our 20-year-old fly fishing selves, Ed said, I would tell myself to keep an ongoing journal of each stream experience. Not only would this be helpful in building knowledge about fish behavior under varying conditions, but it would also provide a wonderful way of reflecting back on the past season or prior seasons. Yeah, that is one of those great disciplines that if you do it, it's very, very rich. It's hard to do it. It's kind of like saying you should write handwritten notes. Yeah. Everybody says you they should do it, but nobody ever does it. Except you do it. You I do. do it. I've and written about this. 50 a month for the last 18 years. So. Okay. I, I know you do. You're good at that. I actually do journal, and I, I don't do it every day, but I, I always journal, though, when we fly fish, so I can go back and tell you what we caught. And it's, it's something, too, even since we started our podcast that I'm even more diligent about, but I... Uh, I want to remember just for the fun of it, but it's also good to go back and say, oh, yeah, that's this is what the conditions were. Here's something that we wanted to remember for next time. So, yeah, I, I think, Ed, you're exactly right, and we, we really appreciate you sharing that. All right, our final segment in today's podcast is Hook Set. This is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast with a quote. Today we're quoting Nick Lyons in his book Spring Creek, and this is what he writes. Tough fishing stretches you, provides you with skills and confidence for a thousand lesser moments, and it eggs you on to take great chances. 
It's not just courage that's required, of course, but some knowledge of the, the kinds of major tactics that can be necessary in a trout stream and then a perfection of the skills needed to enact them. There's a lot there in that quote. Yeah, there really is. Tough fishing stretches you, provides you with skills and confidence for a thousand lesser moments. Huh. I, I guess think, he's talking about life there in general, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, sometimes tough fishing can discourage you, especially if you're That's a, what I thought of too. a new fly so. fisher and you feel like you just haven't had lots of uh, success on the water. And so tough days, kind of they're all tough days early on, right? And um, so anyway, uh, that's interesting. Tough fishing stretches you, provides you with skills and confidence for a thousand lesser moments. Yeah. Lesser moments in life or lesser moments on the river? Well, that's what I was wondering. I could see where it would be both. I, I suppose you're developing problem-solving skills, right? Yeah. So maybe in that sense. Huh. It certainly does... You know, tough fishing does force you to try different things and to do different rigs, set up different rigs. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and maybe it's easier to think that way when you when you're accomplished, like he is, or or you know, if, if you've had a stretch of good days, then then a tough day. Well, well, that is good. It's kind of a reminder of uh, you know what I really have to work at this, and yeah, and it's not a given. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Matthewson. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm Steve Matthewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two guys in a river. We can agree on that, right? Yes, we can. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>